Welcome back to another episode of Quarren Stream. My name is Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And our guest this week is musician Santos Montano from New York, uh, the drummer for the band Old Man Gloom. Santos, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. I know you uh, you spoke with Cody on uh, his music podcast before, and uh, he thought you'd be a good uh, a good candidate for Quarren Stream here. Yeah, uh, I was I was kind of a dud on his other podcast, but <laughs> I think that he just. I was so highly recommended that he thought I'd kill it on another one. So we'll see if that, if that happens. <laughs> no, definitely not a dud. That was a it was a good conversation, and I thought, um, you know, you, we we talked a little bit about, and we'll get into it in a minute about how, you know, you have your you have your feet. I don't know how to put this. You're in in two different pools. This is a bad metaphor. Uh, <laughs> it's like hand and pot, hand and pies. Hands and pies. The, that, that's go. a better one. Yeah. So uh, I thought it would be a, a good uh, a good mix. So if anyone wants to hear, it's called Medium Fidelity, the music podcast, which is really good. But yeah, it's it's good to have you here, especially because we've been uh, focusing mostly with stand up comedians um, on this show uh, for a while now, and it's good to kind of get different perspectives from different people in different parts of the entertainment industry for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can definitely give you that, the other Good. side of it. Um, you know, I, I do props. I'm a prop guy in New York. I've been doing, uh, you know, TV and film props for, oh God, like 10 years in the union and maybe another eight years before that non-union. So yeah, I've been doing so, it a while. So I, that, that fascinates me. You, you actually, do you cr- like make the props? Like you make them? Or or how does that work? So in New York specifically, the prop world is kind of you, you get your union card as a prop, but prop ends up um, meaning a bunch of different things. Like you can you can be an on set prop person, which is just handling hand props for actors. So you know anything that the actor touches, whether it's a gun or a watch or a cell phone or you know a car. Car ends up cars end up falling into props. Or the other side of it is set dressing, and set dressing is everything that you see on camera that the actor doesn't touch. So, you know, that's furniture and pictures on the wall and Mm -hmm. rugs and everything. And then there's also greens is part of props, so any plants, and, you know, that's a whole other department. And special effects also falls under props. So, you know, as a prop in New York, you can kind of do everything. And I've definitely had the job where I've got to build props which i love i love that sounds that. awesome yeah um that is one of my favorite things but i don't get to do it that much because i actually ended up specializing my little specialty is i'm what's called an onset dresser so i'm the set dresser that's with the actor and the camera and i basically make the frame look the way it's going to look on screen so i'm like the last line of defense for the decorator and the designer Okay. So, like, continuity and, you know, crooked lampshades and, you know, weird coffee table books that are askew. All that all that shit is my job. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've done all the other things. I've, you know, I've done just, like, hand props and guns and all that. And I've definitely built props. And I've done some special effects and done some greens and kind of done it all. But my little specialty world is to be the guy that's, like taking 10 minutes to fuss with a lampshade while everybody's <laughs> getting really angry and saying, we don't give a fuck about that lampshade uh so so what do you uh what what would you say the uh your favorite prop that you built was ooh well okay so this is a good one actually this just happened to me 
uh, on a, I was doing a Sesame Street show um, called Helpsters that's on the Apple streaming platform. It's a brand new show. God damn, that sounds great. It's, <laughs> Sorry. It's so, I, I got to tell you, man, it's, it's, it was like my, it was my dream job when I got it. And the designer is a friend of mine and she called me up and it was just, the minute she said it, I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. Because I grew up Henson obsessed. I mean, yeah. Frag, Fraggle Rock and The Muppet Show, totally oh, obsessed. I had like... You know, as a family, we would watch The Muppet Show every Sunday, and then in reruns, like, that was it. Muppet movies. Mm -hmm. you know, it was just, oh, man, that I'm, was I'm right on board with you there. So, you know, going on to this set and meeting these guys, you know, like, Marty Robinson was one of them, and he has been snuffy since the 70s. You know, mm -hmm. he's snuffy and Telly Monster, and, you know, there's a bunch of Sesame Street puppeteers on there. And these guys, these people are just legends, you know, and even the this, the... The side people that aren't the main puppeteers, they're like, oh, yeah, Johnny K, uh, you know, he did the baby's eyes on dinosaurs. And I'm like, what? <laughs> not the mama? That guy worked not the mama's eyeballs? <laughs> so it was just like it was full puppet geek out from the minute I got there. But That's one, awesome. there was in the middle of the season, uh, one of the puppets whose name is Mr. Prim and he's kind of, he's purple and he has a, you know, kind of a little monocle glasses and a, and a cravat and, you know, he's that kind of puppet. He had a little plane and the gag was that, you know, they were going to look in a telescope and see Mr. Prim flying on this plane. So we had this little plane that I, I, you know, I didn't fabricate it, but I got to do a few things with it. Um, and it was filming in front of a green screen and it was going to take four puppeteers in green suits to just make this thing look like it was in the sky. We did a walkthrough <laughs> in the morning and the director, you know, they were talking about this propeller on on this plane. And, the, you know, the conversation was one of these in the morning movie conversations where everybody's tired and nobody wants to talk about it. And they're like, we'll just figure it out on the day, which is the worst. So, <laughs> you know, the VFX guys like we're going to do it in VFX. This is how we're going to do it. Blah, blah, blah. The director, I hear him sort of under his breath say, I don't I don't want to do it VFX. I want it to be practical. But, you know, if you want it to be a VFX, we'll do VFX. And it was this kind of like, you know, kind of cat and mouse kind of game. And but no decision was made. And everybody was just under the impression that we were going to do it VFX. So we shoot for, you know, 10, 11 hours. We get there and the director's like, I want it practical. And VFX was like, well, you didn't you didn't tell us you wanted that. We don't have a practical propeller. And he's like, well, I want it. So I had to just figure it out. So <laughs> I took a, a Nerf ball and I cut it in half. And they had that spray painted gold. We shoved some fan, some like uh, fan fins into the Nerf ball. I took a, a pole and I put it in my drill. I hid the drill into the front of the plane and drilled a <laughs> hole through it. I put a zip tie around my drill to keep it spinning. And I literally built this fucking practical propeller on this puppet plane. And it was like... I, I did it in like 13 minutes and it fucking <laughs> wow. looked amazing. And like, you know, in those 13 minutes, I don't know if you guys have been on movie set, there's like 75 people looking at you and like three people who are producers just looking at those people looking at you and seeing mm -hmm. the money just like float into the ether. <laughs> and so I'm like sweating my balls off, just yelling to my assistant like... Get me, get me the paddle bits. Give me a drill. Give me some zip ties. Uh, give me a broomstick. Break the broomstick in half. And I'm just like, in my mind, I'm just trying to fucking figure it out. And I did it. I figured it out in like literally 13 minutes, made a practical propeller. And the director was happy, but more just like, well, I told you that's what I wanted. So finally it's here. And I'm just like, you fuckers. You have no idea how stoked I am that I just pulled that out of my ass. And he's just like, well, finally, now we can film. 
<laughs> I, I've uh, I've heard those. I, I, I don't know if they're the they're not really directly related to the Henson guys anymore. The Sesame Street, but I I know those Henson guys were always really big on actually doing the stuff. Yeah, and, like doing very little visual effects. Though I don't know. This is a, a pet peeve of mine, and uh, I have a story about that. But uh, when they like in the new Muppet movies, when they digitally erase the arm rods, yeah, it's bizarre. Right? Thank you, thank you. That bugs the shit out of me. No, and, it's, uh, it's like a suspension of disbelief that's just been there for so long, and it's like that is the staple of a Henson puppet is those arm rods. In in Pelsters, right. we leave them. That's they're just there, Good. and there's no. There's like well, no self-consciousness about it. Well, I have a one of my best friends is um, he's a huge Muppets fan too. He lives in L.A. and he uh, got to tour the Henson Studios. And just as as a side note, he sent me a picture. He was there one day, and uh, like just sitting behind him was the the baby from Dinosaurs, like the prop. <laughs> and I'm like, Muppet. what? They just sits around? He's like, yeah, they just have it sitting around. <laughs> but uh, we've argued about this arm rod thing, and. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you were there, Cody, but a couple years ago uh, at South by Southwest, there was a documentary uh, from Frank Oz called Muppet Guys Talking. I saw that. And um, I don't know if you were at the premiere, but... I was. Uh, I was sitting behind Robert Rodriguez, who, who was taking oh, notes and did the Q&A. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. So I was at the... I, must, I was at a daytime show. Anyway, after the, the Q&A, I, or after the movie, I asked Frank Oz what he thought about the, the arm, the digital arm rod removal. And he couldn't have given two shits. He was like, I don't know, whatever they want. I was like, God damn it. If anybody was going to be on my side, it was going to be Frank Oz. But I'm glad that, that you're on my side because I I don't like it. I don't understand. Uh, yeah. Like, it, it'd be like if you erase, like, the knuckle lines from Kermit's head. Like, that's part right. of it. You yeah, know? Like, and like those old, I mean, puppet technology, I've learned, has come a long ways. But, you know, right. the puppet guys are... They look at those old 70s puppets and, you know, there's seams and they're not built amazingly well. And, you know, it's gotten so much better. But none of them give a shit. None of them are like, you know, think that it doesn't it's not cool. It's it's like nobody thinks it's a real creature. Even <laughs> even my two year old knows it's a puppet. So why do we have to make it perfect up to the up to the fabric that we can very clearly see that it's fabric that is its hand? You know, it's. Yeah, I'm with you. I do have a a little Frank Oz story that that oh, yeah? I I got from the puppeteers on my I I'm telling you man, you just get them talking and they love it because their mm-hmm. world is so small and weird mm-hmm. so that anybody that's into it they're just like, "Yeah, I'll tell you about when I designed all the puppets in Eureka's Castle." And I'm like, "Yeah, please. <laughs> please. I fucking barf that all over me." But so they there's a story that Frank would only come in to do Grover every once in a while towards the towards, you know, him getting a little older and Sesame Mm -hmm. Street being around for a very long time. And I guess he showed up and this was not, you know, I don't know how long ago, but not that long ago when he was still showing up for Grover. And he I don't know what the scene was, but he did this hysterical pratfall, you know, like a real Grover smashing pratfall. And. You know, now on these shows, there's a curriculum person there. And the curriculum stuff is insane. They, they, you know, we had we had one thing where we wanted to have the puppets suggest having a tea party. And curriculum was like, mm, no, tea implies caffeine. And we oh, really Jesus. shouldn't push that on kids. So no tea party. <laughs> and it's just like, are you are you kidding me? Like tea is a staple of, of society of like, you know, 
how long has tea existed? And curriculum is saying like <laughs> we can't have puppets pushing that tea agenda <laughs> on children. It's like, it's fucking deranged. Anyway, we had many. <laughs> Like, curriculum was a thing I didn't realize was such a pain in the ass until this show. But anyway, curriculum goes to Frank, and they're like, Frank, you're going to have to do one without the fall because, you know, a kid falls and hurts themselves and then we're liable. Or maybe they push their little brother over and, you know, we just shouldn't <laughs> – we shouldn't show falling like that. So they start filming. Frank does the exact same thing, does the fall, does it even more. Curriculum comes back in. They're like, mm, Frank, yeah. And so that's that was great, but we're going to need one more without the fall. Frank does it a third time, does the fall. <laughs> and <laughs> curriculum comes back in, and Frank just just like, I'm out, that's it. And that was the last time he did Grover. He was just <laughs> like, this is not that's what it. I'm about. This is not what this show is about. I'm done. And Dang. that was the last Frank Oz Grover. I assume that was probably like the, P the last of the PBS days before it moved to HBO first run i don't i wonder you know i mean i know the curriculum stuff even on hbo is is really intense really because yeah. I, I always thought that was a broadcast rule because i've been in tv for 20 years now and we've always you know my one of my first lessons in tv was on the children's television act and how to you know like the educational programming that we have to show and like just the bullshit rule bending that it has to that that goes on for it to be educational. That's why you, when you watch like a rerun of Saved by the Bell, at you know six in the morning, it says EI in the corner. Like, no, it's not. There's nothing educational <laughs> yeah. about Saved by the Bell. Yeah, you want to if you need to learn about really weird geometric shapes on folders, then yes, <laughs> this is a very educational show. Like, but... like it's not even a, a a good show about robotics. Talking about <laughs> Screech's robot, right? Um, so uh, that is um. Is that a job you're current? I mean, well, obviously you're not currently doing it because no one's no, doing it. Yeah, uh, no, I was. Um, I did that most of last year. It was a very long job, and it was, it was like a dream come true. Um, but then I moved on to an HBO show called The Flight Attendant that should be premiering. I think it's on HBO Max that'll premiere. It's like in the next okay. week or two. But yeah, just you know, I, I it's it seems fine. I didn't do the whole job, but you know, so show so yeah, flight attendant. <laughs> I uh I guess we we can switch topics a little bit to quarantine because Jared got his fifteen minutes of puppet talk in so this is, we, <laughs> can we, we have just to talk limit about him. puppets for like another forty. We can talk. I can fun? we I can talk Muppets all day long. Uh, so and I'll that, pass the fuck out. I can talk. <laughs> I can talk. I can talk about my puppet show that I made and. Uh, oh, so you are you're in this? Oh yeah, nice. I love it. Go ahead and go ahead and drop the fact uh, that you're Emmy nominated for it, Jared. It was a regional Emmy, but. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we I lost. will tell you, Helpsters is up for five Emmys right now, five uh, daytime kid shows Emmys, which I was really stoked about because that's awesome. That means we'll be getting a second season, which nice. Well, How one more one more puppet thing. I actually, and this is quarantine related, so it'll be a great little segue. I was as of like April fifteenth, I was supposed to start a Sesame Street movie starring Anne Hathaway, and again, it was like it was my fucking dream job because. It was a Sesame Street movie, big blockbuster, huge budget, you know, giant backlot build. And it was like, I do almost all TV at this point because that's what exists. And so I was going to be doing this big feature. And in my mind, I was like, this is going to be millions of children's favorite movie. Like, this will be a thing that 
somebody when they're when they're 20 they'll be like oh my i drove my parents crazy with the sesame street movie and like that was so that to me was so meaningful rather than just like again a show about a flight attendant on hbo like whatever <laughs> right. it's i don't know if it's going to be good or not but like it doesn't excite me but a sesame street blockbuster that excites me oh and it got totally shit canned uh, i think it's gonna i think it's getting pushed like a year but you know yeah who, who knows at this point well i mean i remember watching follow that bird when i was a kid uh i assume you, you yeah you know course. it well uh like just the the weird like the idea that it was like an expanded sesame street was crazy like it had like you know you could see more of it and yeah like like the houses like the bird houses and stuff it was a crazy it, it's a it's a really good movie still it holds up yeah um, i mean it, it i was reading the script for the new thing because you know again we were about to start it and it was just like even the opening number was just this huge expansive sesame street number and i was just like I was blissed out reading it, let alone just like getting to be in there and do it. You know, that was, yeah, it was so quarantine hit me really hard. Damn. I was just, Damn. I, I had been talking about this movie for months and me and I have a, a wonderful assistant that's come with me on a few jobs now. And she's just like, she was ravenous to do the Sesame Street job and we were both just in heaven and then rug right out from under us. Damn, that's, that yeah. sucks. Well, yeah. Okay, so Cody. It, we can stop well, talking about puppets. <laughs> <laughs> well, so was that was what you would have been doing during this time, like, or like it was scheduled for this, like, the, like the period we're in now? Or? Yeah, I would have been. I would have started in April, and I think it would have wrapped in like mid July or late Damn. July. Yeah, it would have been a really nice long job and really fun. I don't yeah. know anything about it. Yeah, I think it uh well it, it I mean I remember hearing about it but I don't know like any I mean I I don't you probably can't say anything about it but I, I just yeah, never I mean, heard I, I definitely signed an adorable NDA that had, <laughs> that had Cookie Monster on it which is Did it really? It really did. It's the <laughs> adorable legally binding contract I've ever signed. You, but, you know um, you know what's funny about that I'm reading stories about it um Someone, someone who wrote uh, a recent draft of the screenplay is actually factors into one of our recommendations later. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. So you, so you already you had read about this Sesame Street movie already. I I knew about it because I saw it. it there, there were some because it got pushed originally. Like it was supposed to come out, I think, in early, um, in early like twenty twenty one or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I was. It got pushed, I believe, because Anne Hathaway had a kid. I believe that's why it got pushed. I wasn't signed on for it when it got pushed uh, officially. I had had some conversations, but um, I believe she had a baby, and that's why it got pushed. <laughs> well, it and says it says in this article recently that uh, a new report says shooting has been delayed for nine months. So that checks out. I think <laughs> yeah, that's very specific timeline. <laughs> <laughs> like ju just enough time to have the baby, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pop it out right onto set the next day. <laughs> So, so having said that, I guess it, that would be a good kind of thing. So we talked a little bit about on the other podcast how how you had your reservations about like when filming would come back or, or the film and TV industry would come back, but specifically about in New York, um, because it, it, what it sounded like was it was kind of a different beast altogether because maybe the spots you were filming in were more condensed or cramped. And so I was just kind of wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know, not only how it's, you know, the quarantine is affecting your jobs, which we know, you know, directly what that led to but you know what you see is the big hurdles to this coming back at all in any 
you know significantly sh- like soon time frame yeah it's it's i mean i'm probably i'm assuming just like in all of your personal lives but the it's all just speculation and nobody knows anything and so here's the things we know in new york there are anywhere from 70 to 150 people on a movie set there are people we shoot in tiny places because we're shooting mostly in you know practical real locations so new york apartments lofts restaurants and these places are tiny i mean i'm assuming you guys have spent some time in new york like no restaurant is it's all it's all the size of a of a railroad apartment you know mm-hmm. so you're just really crammed in these tiny spaces everybody's trying to do their jobs at the same time and the reason that that happens is because you have such a limited amount of time to do so much work and the clock is ticking and money is being spent. So to enforce any kind of social distancing on a movie set, not only is it going to be really difficult, it's going to be impossible because, you know, some of the guidelines that have been sent out are like one department at a time on a set. And it's, it's, (laughs) it doesn't even make, I mean, even somebody who doesn't work in the movie business, it's not hard to understand that like, if I need to go in, okay, say a, 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 the, the, the director of photography needs a light. Okay, they want that light there. Happens all the time. I need to move a piece of set dressing. So I go in with my crew and move the piece of set dressing. Then the electric, electricians have to come in and put the light there. And then the grips have to come in and put flags in. And then they have to run the power. And then I have to redress the set around it. I mean, if you if you do that one at a time, clearing off the set of a department between every single step of the way putting one light up is going to take 40 minutes and if if that's the case you're 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 going to get like one minute you know a page of dialogue shot a day it just doesn't it doesn't work and then that's not even factoring in background actors Mm -hmm. and you know how are you going to socially distance actors from each other and from the background actors and from hair and makeup you know it's there's just so many hurdles to get over to make filming happening and it's just nobody's figured it out and i think they're having pretty intense uh you know negotiations about it and trying to figure it out but i i don't think they're any closer than they were you know a month ago so i'm not really sure and you know as you guys know new york is so far behind uh, in the curve, you know, we're, it's getting better and definitely flatten the curve and the numbers are dropping and dropping. But I think I read there were like, you know, still like 700 new cases yesterday, you know, so it's not, yeah. it's going to yeah. be so much further behind. And I think productions are going to just start bailing, you know, Atlanta is going to open up before we do Louisiana, LA, all these places are going to be working before New York. And unless it's a show that has to be in New York, why would you stay in New York? Right. So, you know, before the quarantine, I think there were like 70 TV shows filming in New York. My my union is at like 400% employment, which is a, it's, it's crazy. Like there's just more work than there are people to do it. And I think those days because of this pandemic are going to just come to a screeching halt. Yeah. Have they, have they modified anything like along the way in, in the recommendations? Like, I know here in we're in Texas, I'm in Austin and it's been sort of a, a gradual reopening of things where it's, you know, like I went and got a haircut the other day and I had to wear a mask, but you know, two, two weeks prior, I wasn't allowed to get a haircut. Yeah. Uh, I think we're, we're, well, so I'm in Westchester, so I'm just the first thing outside of New York city. I'm in Yonkers. 
which is like I'm like a mile from the Bronx. So I'm like the closest to the city without being in the city. So in mm -hmm. Westchester, we're in phase two. So phase two means, you know, gyms and things like that aren't open. But I believe um, you can eat outside of restaurants. If there's outdoor dining, you can do that. And retailers, all retail can be open for curbside pickup. You know, that's it. But in the city, I believe they've just entered phase one as of like this week. Oh, and, wow. And, you know, that's, it's a long ways off before. I think that, I think that filming, somebody told me today, filming in New York can happen in phase two, but no more than 10 people can be in a room. It's like, well, <laughs> great. So how is that going to happen? How is it, um, how is the mood there in in your industry? I don't know how close of contact you keep with everyone, but does everyone just sort of resign to the fact that this is done for, you know, the, the rest of the year or, or whatever it ends up being? Um, it's it's varied, you know, and, and yeah, we all, you know, I we're definitely all keeping in touch and checking in and seeing who knows anything. And I have some, you know, I have some friends that are like, oh, we'll be shooting by July. <laughs> and I have some friends that are just like, we're not working in 2020. And I'm definitely veering towards pessimism right now. Um, but I just, I think the real problem is going to be talent. You know, like, how are you going to get these actors to come to New York if they don't already live here and yeah. put themselves in this position? And I don't think they're going to. Yeah. I mean, even getting on a plane right now is is something that that you know i the airport here i think some numbers were like it was down like 96 percent year over year like it's crazy wow. just how yeah. many people aren't flying and the idea that you know an actor is going to fly in from la or or wherever seems ludicrous at this point right and then you know just like i was saying uh, not only are they going to have to do that and then you know live in a hotel or wherever they're going to live but then they're going to have to come to work every day with 75 mouth-breathing New Yorkers just, <laughs> you know, not following social distancing, not wearing masks. Yeah. It's, it does not seem like the talent is going to really be into it. So I, I don't know. I'm, it, it's so unknown. And at this point, I was so certain that music was going to be the really complicated one. Like, we're not going to be able to play shows for so long. But now I'm like, mm, it's neck and neck. Both are really screwed. So let's let's transition to to talking about music right now. You are the drummer for a band called Old Man Gloom. Yep. Um, and so, would you be like right now? Say you're not working a gig in New York as a in, in props. Are, would you be touring? Yeah, we had a tour booked for uh, I guess it was last week. We were supposed to go down the West Coast and finish up at a fest in Taos, New Mexico, which. Uh, I grew up in New Mexico, and we actually started the band. Me and Aaron, my bandmate, uh, we're both from Santa Fe, and that's mm -hmm. where the band started. But we've never played a show in New Mexico, so this was oh, wow. Wow. really exciting for us to finally get to play in New Mexico. And uh, yeah, the whole thing was just was just canned. I actually I decided to write a tour diary of of what the tour is like. Um, and it's totally just fiction and De uh, decibel magazine is actually running it. They're going to run it in four parts and they put the first two out. And so I'm just well, basically cool. following the tour and writing 
what I hope would happen. <laughs> yeah, I've read, I've read the first two parts, and they're really great. <laughs> how cra- how crazy did does it get in your uh, tour diary? It's 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 really really. I'm gonna have to check. That's on crazy. Decibel now. Yeah, the first two are on Decibel right now. It's awesome. It's absolute complete fiction, and <laughs> I'm, I'm making it really uncomfortable for everyone. And they get worse and worse as like the first <laughs> the first two is mostly just me torturing my bandmates and like making fun of my 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 bandmate Aaron's he lives on Vashon, which is an island off Seattle. So it's just giving kind of just like giving this fictional account of what I imagine people think his life is like, but then it just goes, it just gets worse and worse. And I just wrote one about Oakland and I basically, uh, I just made up a fake meeting of a sibling that I don't have that found me at the show, but I will tell you, and this is a, this is a corn stream exclusive. I do actually have a sibling that did find me on social media that I didn't know about. And so this oh, wow. is, it wow. is kind of based in truth. So, yeah. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, what, I, I'm going to take go back to Vashon <laughs> for a second. Is that like a, is it supposed to be fancy? I don't, I don't understand. My sister lives in Seattle, but I've never been up there. Uh, yeah. Vashon. I mean, it's kind of, I don't. I don't know what to equate it to, but it's kind of a weird little hippie island off of okay. Pacific North. Yeah. And so, you know, I think for the most part, people have a little bit of cash out there and it's like quiet, kind of bougie island living. I mean, gotcha. there's definitely like Vashon townies for sure. Okay. But for the most part, it's kind of like a, a liberal kind of hippie community as near as I can figure out. And I've been there a few times and it definitely seems like, you know, everybody kind of meets at the same little weird bakery that also has lots of vegan options and yeah. talk about like oh my god you know the simmons they're just not going to deal with that tree that's down by the road i don't know what they're oh, thinking boy. you know that kind of <laughs> that, that's, that's the vibe it has to me okay yeah my sister lives on uh um like uh, just north of there it looks like on the map uh like bremerton i don't know i don't know seattle i I have a friend who used to live in bremerton because i think that he was in the navy and i think there's a naval base yeah that's my my brother-in-law's in in the navy oh there you go that's Ah, that's what it is yeah yeah i i love i love it out there uh it is a little it is a little weird staying with aaron though because it really is i mean it's an island and you're in the middle of nowhere and i don't sleep so i wake up in the morning and i'm just like i don't don't know what to do out here like i can't just (laughs) totally captive in this funny little island villa i can't escape yeah i can't escape (laughs) like usually like my thing when i'm staying with people or i'm on tour i like get up early and i take a long walk and find coffee and yeah if that option is taken away from me i don't know what the fuck to do with myself (laughs) (laughs) so uh uh, how many uh tours have you done with the band now uh well we've been a band for 21 years oh gosh yeah so a lot that's Um, a long time for a and I assume you're you're probably early forties. Yeah, forty one. Okay, yeah. yeah so you, man, you were like in high school or right out of high school. Yeah, where I was like, yeah, twenty, and we, yeah, we. It's weird that we're still a band. That's bizarre. that's impressive because that's. I mean, yeah. If I if I I mean if I had a dollar for every high school mate I had classmate that was in a band that's gone now (laughs) yeah I mean I think we we've never been a very full-time band and I think that's been our saving grace that we've never had to spend so much time together that we don't like each other we really all like each other and we still like hanging out and the band is very much an excuse for us to hang out and I think if there had been a period where we were really trying to quote-unquote make it 
then yeah, we would we would not exist. But luckily, we make such abrasive, unlistenable music that <laughs> we were never under the impression that we were going to make it. So it worked for us. So um, with you living in New York and um, Aaron living in uh, Seattle area, I assume the other the other band members are spread out too or yeah boston uh nate's in boston and uh steve is in new york we had another member caleb who passed away a couple years ago and he was in boston oh. also so yeah we're all spread out so so this do you like when it comes to you know practicing or even talking with one another i mean has it been over the internet like this is now or has it been you know you do you all get together somewhere at well, some point yeah i mean it it it, the way that it's worked in the last, you know, I guess since No came out, which was like 2014, 2012, I, I can't remember. I think it's, it's in 2012. Something like that. We we basically, you know, Aaron will definitely record demos and send them, and so I can learn the songs. But for the most part, we'll just get together three days before we record, and we'll write the whole <laughs> album in wow. the three days before we record. We'll go in and just record it, no changing anything. No dicking around. You just you just do it, and whatever happens is what it is. And uh, and then we we also we only do like guitars, drums, and bass in the studio, and then everybody else does vocals at home for the most part. So then vocals happen much later at home, and then we basically get together for a couple of days to mix, and that's it. I mean, we don't practice. We practice right before we go into the studio. And if we're playing shows, we're doing a tour, we'll practice for like two days at the most before the tour. So so you've kind of been doing this uh, work from home thing for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, well, no, because we just don't do anything. We just like... Well, I mean, true. But I mean, the, the uh, I guess the recording the lyrics at home or the vocals yeah, at home. I mean. Yeah. And it, yeah, I definitely, and it only happens with Aaron. I love to have his songs in advance because they're so weird and they're so nonsensically from a timing perspective that I need to kind of hammer them at home. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely used to that. And I have like a little soundproof drum room above my house and, uh, which has come in very handy in quarantine. I've been doing, you know, <laughs> I've, I've done some, uh, some covers, uh, Cody and I talked about it on the other one, but, uh, these two minutes to late night covers, I've done a couple of those, and, uh, you know, other little home recording things. So that's been awesome to actually connect with other humans through music, which I was not expecting. Yeah, that's a that's a great series. And uh, and I've been I think a, a lot of it's been it's been funny, like watching the comments on that, because everyone is basically talking about how Jordan Olds or Gorsenio Hall is is winning quarantine by this entire series of stuff where like every single song that's come out has been just like fucking awesome and it's 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 such a high percentage of success rate that he's having right now with this oh yeah I, actually i i think i told you guys about the one that was coming out and i'm not mm -hmm. sure if you heard it in since then the uh, yeah i have it, it's it, we did a kate bush cover running up that hill and it was me emma ruth rundle singing uh bill from mastodon playing guitar and aaron from yob playing bass and uh jordan doing vocals and playing guitar also it, it's such a good song and and like i didn't really realize it because i didn't hear the whole thing until it came out but i'm totally blown away by how good it sounds and i'm jordan has so much respect for from me for for all the work he's doing to make these covers good because i'm sure you've heard a bunch of these and they're they're not that good 
but every single one he's put out has been fucking stellar. I, it it also helps that they are mixed amazingly too. Yeah, like they just sound great. Well, and here's a little uh, peek behind the curtain. I'll tell you guys on the Danzig one and on the Running Up That Hill, I use my electronic drums, so it's just oh, triggers, wow. and they sound they they sound <laughs> amazing. And I got so many compliments, like, "Dude, your drums sound great." I'm like, it's it's computers. It is not. <laughs> it is not me. I mean, there's a. It's it's all the machines now. Yeah, that's right, man. So Dine is in. so is the video you're doing just like it's it's not like the actual recording of it. Then it's it's just a performance. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I definitely played it, you know, and but I didn't. As far as recording the video, yeah, I didn't want to actually be recording because you know, yeah, I wanted you know, to it's, like, light candles and get the vibe going. And <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioned that too because I was like, I don't see any mics. What's going on here? <laughs> you know, it's funny in the dancing one, I put mics up because I wanted to like create the illusion. And in the running up that hill one, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Nobody, <laughs> nobody thinks that I'm recording this, and like nobody thinks that in the one music video by Metallica that they were actually recording the song. You know, <laughs> a fucking black and white warehouse with chains hanging all like (laughs) there's no there's no suspension of disbelief and so i just didn't bother putting all the mics up yeah it's just like this is stupid i'd rather just spend this time like lighting candles and putting up shears and like set i don't know if you guys noticed i did a a lot of work to get a foreground candle in there so (laughs) i really take my craft serious like we, uh, my uh, uh, the TV station I work for, we aired a uh, a benefit concert last night for Austin musicians, mm-hmm. um, and it's all virtual. I mean, it had like uh, Willie Nelson, uh, Paul Simon, Gary Clark Jr. You know, all that kind of tech. You know, these a bunch th- of up and comers, in other words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, no real nobody that you, uh, <laughs> you you've heard of before. Just these these kind of new guys. Yeah. No, but it it's funny to see like how. Um, cause they all recorded it at home or wherever. And some of them just like, it's Terry, Terry Allen was one of the, the first performers. And I mean, it just, it's great. He's singing, uh, playing the piano while he's doing it, but the, the sound quality is just so terrible. Yeah. And it's just like, man, I, I, it's, it's great, you know, that he's performing it live, but some of the other ones, like they really produced them out. Um, it I- was, uh. I was watching this this one that Fender, I believe, put on for it was a it was a benefit for the Apollo, um, and it was a bunch of people doing cover songs. And there was one part like you could tell the people who really put a lot of effort into it. And then like there was one where Warren Haynes was performing, uh, and he kind of like introed a song and he played like fifteen seconds of it, and they just cut out of it completely. So <laughs> I have to, and it didn't sound wow. great. Why though? I mean, I I don't know why they only played 15 seconds of it, but like literally, he just he sang like a couple of he played in a couple of chords and sang, and then they just bailed out of it. And I have to imagine it just like maybe it became unlistenable. But but then you have like really good stuff on there, um, that that is like very clearly like professionally recorded and mixed and and done like that. It's it's been I I've I've often thought in Santos. I don't know if you agree with this, but I've almost I've almost thought that musicians have it a little bit easier than maybe some of these other, you know, art forms because, you know, you can do things like live stream concerts, you can do things like these videos, you can write and record and release material. Yeah. And I was and I was kind of wondering if you thought that 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 musicians in like as people in quarantine have it any easier than other others. You know, I mean, you guys you guys released two albums during quarantine, you know? Yeah. Uh definitely, but I think there's there's 
there's a there's a few different sides to it you know in order to do this stuff you have to have your shit together to some degree and i was actually talking to jordan about this you know and i i just had a feeling and i was like how much time are you spending chasing down people who said they would do this and never did their shit and he's like dude <laughs> you have no idea i am like i have to send really nice cattle prod texts to people that are like very much my seniors in music being like hey have you done that thing that you said you were gonna do <laughs> and as you can imagine like a lot of these i mean some of my closest friends and some of my people that i've played music with they're amazing musicians but they they don't know how to do this shit on their own for the most part you know like mm -hmm. they're used to just showing up to a studio and some producer miking up everything and then they just play you know or you know much more successful bands even at live shows they just hang out all day and they walk out on stage and their shit is all set up for them and that's that you know it's 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 varying degrees but the easiest thing in the world as a musician is to find somebody who's really good at music the hardest part is to find somebody that's good at music and isn't terrible to be around or <laughs> isn't a fucking junkie or can just show up on time or <laughs> can show up at all. Like these are the things that make bands not work. It's there's uh, there's a thousand people who can play really good, but there's very few people that can play really well and that you want to be around and that can do it without like making a complete mess of everything, you know? So yes, it is. We have the opportunity to do a lot and make music and we don't necessarily need to be in the world to do it, but it's not always easy to get people to just like sit down and figure out how to home record and figure out how to mic or figure out, you know, I know, a lot of people can't do the electronic drums and record it. It just doesn't work for them. They don't understand it. And so it's it's a real double-edged sword. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> I've listened to a thousand bad Zoom audio recordings and Yeah. It, it's it it is a it's one of those things that it's it's like trying to teach someone how to to use their computer from across the country, you know, when you can just when um, it's it's an impossible task. It's like teaching your parents how to use email over and over <laughs> right. and over and over, and over right. again. Yeah, or like teaching my grandmother how to like use the VCR. Just, just, <laughs> yeah, and it's just not it's not possible. You, you, at some point, you just have to give up. And I, again, so much respect to Jordan for like making these people get this shit done. And uh, I'm totally impressed. So um, let's go ahead and move on to kind of the crux of the show here. Um, where uh, we are going to uh, recommend some movies for you to stream, Santos. All right. And then uh, you will pick one for us to watch. Now, first, um, kind of let us know what sort of streaming services do you have access to and what have you been watching during this quarantine? Yeah, so I I think I have, a, I, I have almost all of them and some of them I pay for and some of them I just use my boss's account <laughs> because he has like... <laughs> He's an old Long Island guy, and he just has, like, crazy beefed-out cable that I'm sure he doesn't even know how much it costs him. <laughs> so I have his login, so I can kind of log into everything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I have been uh, HBO, you know, and now the new HBO Max. Seems like there's a lot more on there. That's been really yeah. good. And I actually have been really impressed with Stars. I don't know. I'd never cared about Stars, but... At the at some they have point, a really good a couple, lineup. Yeah, the, mm -hmm. their movie selection is awesome. Yeah, you know, way better than uh, Amazon or Netflix 
or you know maybe i've just been like combed through amazon and netflix at this point um but yeah so stars has been a really good one i've watched a lot of stuff on that um and hulu and that's it's kind of yep. I, oh disney plus which i actually got by offering uh on the old man gloom facebook page i put it out there to the fans hey if you give me your <laughs> disney plus login i'll give you two free records when they come out on colored vinyl and it totally happened and i sent the guy his records so on this poor That's on great. this poor guy's uh disney plus profile at home there's like my little icon next to like him and his wife and uh he has to look at my stupid face every time he wants to watch a marvel movie the, there's uh someone hacked my netflix once and i didn't realize it for a while uh i was getting like spanish language <laughs> emails and recommendations and i was like what the hell happened and then finally someone changed the login or the the profile name to whatever and i was like what the fuck <laughs> and uh so then i i i went to uh you can check like the latest login or most recent login or whatever it is yeah and it was in mexico city and the guy had done it a bunch <laughs> and i was like well shit like if you had never changed the profile picture or name, <laughs> I would have never noticed. I would have just been like, what the fuck is wrong? Why is it giving me Spanish? He so got, this he got g- greedy. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like the, like he didn't take anything from me. It was like, eh. so I was like, sorry, bud. And I had changed the password. <laughs> everything. My, uh, yeah, we, I had my, I had my DoorDash hacked and I just, Ooh. I got like a notification during quarantine of your food will be there in Boston <laughs> in f- 15 minutes. And I'm like, what the fuck? And they ordered like a really modest meal. It was like two entrees <laughs> and one starter. I'm like, you're going to fucking <laughs> hack my shit. Like, go all out. Get yourself some leftovers. And so I called DoorDash and I was like, yeah, not me. Somebody hacked it. They're like, okay, great. We'll take care of it. The next day it happened and it was in D.C. I'm like, what the fuck is what is happening? And then, and it, again, the person in DC, they, they ordered like $35 worth of food. I'm like, if you're going to steal from me, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Stealing my Netflix login was like, I was like, well, you didn't really do anything. Like, yeah. I'm okay with it. Right. I, uh, one of my, uh, uh, coworkers had his, uh, uh, Uber hacked like in Europe somewhere. Oh, weird. So it was like your ride will be here at whatever, like in Stockholm or some shit. Like, <laughs> uh, I think he finally got it taken care of, but it took a while to to square that away. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, anyway, those are my stream. I've got you know, I've got pretty good streaming access at this point. So, so what you've been watching? So I have been very exclusive about what I'm watching. In that, I haven't started one television show in quarantine. That oh that's not true. I did I did watch one episode of Space Force, and I, I was like, mm. oh, this is this is all right, and I don't need to watch anymore. <laughs> you made a good call. Yeah, I mean, not it, watching it, anymore. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was funny. I thought the cast was great, but I was just like, yeah, I, I get it. I don't I don't need to keep going. But that's the only TV show I've watched. All I've all I've been watching is movies that I grew up with, and it's like it's just okay. total nostalgia, total comfort, and I don't want anything heavy. I just want like that nostalgia comfort brain part of my brain to just be like soothed at night. So, you know, lots of eighties movies, lots of John Hughes, you know, I watched, uh, they live a couple nights ago. Okay. Uh, River's edge. I don't know if you guys have seen river's edge. I watched that, uh, like night before last, um, 
which is it's it's like a movie about metalheads with Crispin Glover and yeah, Keanu I'm familiar with it. I haven't seen it. Oh, do watch it. But that's that. So you know, but like it's really just like '80s comedies is and like '80s just blockbusters is what I've been watching. Okay, so um, based on that, we've got some recommendations for you, Cody. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Why not? So when I was thinking about this, you know, I, I I was thinking about, well, what provides me comfort? What What is something that I, you know, I, I turn to? And it's always comedy for me. I want, you know, if I don't want to be, you know, pushed to watch something that's going to be challenging or, you know, heavy or anything like that, I, I try to search for comedies that are like comfort for me. Even Even when I'm watching TV, I would rather, you know, watch reruns of The Office or something than, than start something else when I just don't want to think about anything else. So... You know, I almost went the nostalgic route, but then I was like, you know, is, my nostalgia is not going to be the same as someone else's nostalgia. So, <laughs> uh, so I went with a movie um, that I sort of kind of talk incessantly about because I love it so much, um, which is a movie called The Kings of Summer um, that is on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, I brought it up earlier, but uh, the writer of the um, of the movie, Chris Galletta, used to be a writer on Letterman, and he actually wrote the second the the re- most recent draft of the screenplay of the Sesame Street movie that you were referring to. Oh, interesting. Look at that. Yeah, right. and I think that's the only thing he's written since The Kings of Summer. But um so The Kings of Summer came out in I think 2013 if I'm not mistaken. Um and uh as I google it. Uh and um yeah, 2013 and uh it was the first real big movie for Jordan Vote Roberts who Ended up directing like Kong Skull Island was his big was the big movie that he directed um, as a result of the Kings of Summer, um, and um, the 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 plot is basically these kids um, they're high school kids um, decide after uh, being annoyed to death by their overbearing parents that they're going to build a house in the woods and kind of live there and there they will become men and uh and and do their own you know hunting and fishing and all that stuff and uh and try to get girls and things like that and you know the the reason it sticks out to me so much is that it has a very specific odd sense of humor one that like to this day i've i've seen the movie a dozen times and every line that made me laugh in the theater the first time i saw it still makes me laugh really hard and it's got great a great cast of uh of like comedy veterans like megan mullally nick offerman um hannibal burris has a really small part thomas middleditch has a really small part camille nanjiani uh, nanjiani has a really small part and then the kids in it are really good and uh for me it just cracks me up man i i, I just it's you know it's it's something that had what if i were 10 years younger it would be something that i would it, like me and all of my high school friends would be quoting nonstop. And, uh, and it's a very subversive, weird sense of humor. And, uh, and to this day, I think if someone wants to know what my sense of humor is, I would point to that movie and be like, it's almost exactly this. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm going with the Kings of Summer. All right, cool. And where is that available, Cody? That's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Okay, cool. I don't know if you said that or not. I want to make sure we got it in. Okay, so the movie I'm recommending is on uh, HBO Max. And it is called Gremlins 2, The New Batch. <laughs> yes. And uh, this is, um, uh, you may have seen this, it may be, maybe it's been a while, but it's uh, the sequel, of course, to 1984's Gremlins, uh, which is, um, you know, a, a, a kind of a horror comedy sort of thing. Um, this 
film, though, is a completely deconstructed meta take on the whole Gremlins thing. Uh, this movie takes place in New York City uh, with a very, uh, a very um, thinly veiled uh, Donald Trump analog uh, in the name of uh, Daniel Clamp, played by, um, I almost said Donald Glover, John Glover. Who of course has done a lot of uh, TV work, did a lot of the super. He was in uh, Smallville, um, and he plays sort of a. It's like a Donald Trump, um, uh, Ted Turner sort of mix. And what happens is the Gremlins get loose in this building that's like an analog for Trump Tower called Clamp Tower or something. I don't know what it is, but uh, the Gremlins get loose in there, and all sorts of crazy stuff happens. Um, there's there's great jokes in it. The film um, ends up like there's an interruption in the film uh, by a certain super popular wrestler. Um, there's uh, in jokes about Warner Brothers in the that's produced the the movie in the movie itself. Uh, references to Bugs Bunny um, and the other Looney Tunes. Uh, a pretty blatant Batman reference. Uh, it's just it's a lot of fun. Um, if you love the first Gremlins movie, this is. Like this, it's turned up to eleven. It's just nuts, uh, and that is my recommendation. It's on HBO Max. Awesome! I actually I've seen it, but I saw it in the theater when it came out, and I okay. haven't seen it since. So it's thirty. It's been thirty years. It's been thirty years. Thirty years. So uh, yeah, that's 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 exciting. All right. So uh, Santos, what is your recommendation for us? So I'm gonna make you guys watch Joe versus the volcano. Which is ah. a actually it's from ninety also. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, classic combo. I, I'm not sure if it's their first. It might. It's definitely one of the early ones. It's pre. I think like, it is their first. I think it is too. Yeah, it, it's like right after uh, when Harry met Sally for Meg Ryan. So she is like just blown up. Right, and it's a very it's a rom com for sure, but it's a very weird rom com and there's they really went for it. Uh the director, also the writer, uh John Pat- Patrick Shanley, he did Moonstruck. I think that was his big first thing. Mm-hmm. And uh I think I'm not sure what he did after that, but Did he do it, Doubt? Was it he? Doubt based on his play? Oh wow. That's that's heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know, it's it's a very strange rom-com and it's very for me it's like pure nostalgia it was one of those movies that was on whatever movie channel that existed in my home in the in the 90s and i watched it maybe you know 25 times as a kid and i just the more you watch it the more weird things you see and there's all these really ham-fisted sort of uh sim- this ham-fisted symbolism that they keep trying to shove into the movie that works but also doesn't work at all and it's got a very (laughs) weird sense of humor and it's it's almost like these very nonsensical jokes in it and it just yeah i i i just love it and like you said cody it's just kind of like i think it's a lot of where my sense of humor comes from is Mm -hmm. like some of the some of the undercurrents (laughs) of this movie and uh yeah it's just got a lot of things that are so nonsensical and it almost taps into kind of a magical realism vibe where you aren't questioning a lot of the very strange, silly things that happen because they do an effective job of like weaving it into this. This is just the world that it is. So, yeah, 
So, so like like you with Gremlins two, I saw this, but it has been thirty years. Yeah. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I I, I definitely saw it on on video. Oh, it was on a VHS. Cable, yeah. It was definitely a cable slash VHS movie for sure. Cool. So uh, we will watch Joe versus the volcano, and you will pick. Don't let us know yet. You will pick one of our films, and then uh, the next episode we'll talk about those films. So. All right. Cool. Um, all right. Well, anything you want to plug before we wrap this up? Um, yeah, just uh, go check out the new Old Man Gloom records, uh, Light of Being and Dark. Wait, Light of Meaning and Darkness of Being, and check out my nonsensical fictional tour diary on decibel.com, and it'll be released in four parts. So cool. Yeah, check uh, it out. Uh, you can also listen to our other podcasts, the Cinesnob Podcast, where we review uh, new release films. Right now we're doing all VOD stuff because that's what the world is now. You can also listen to our other uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, Re-MCU, where we are re-watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Our latest episode features comedian Eddie Pence, uh, and it's on uh, Thor The Dark World. Uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast.cinesnob.net. Find us on Facebook at Cinesnob Critic on Twitter at Cinesnob. Cody, anything else? Yeah, I'll plug my music podcast, Medium Fidelity or Glide Magazines. Medium Fidelity is what it's in there under. Uh, our latest episode is with Santos. And uh, if you're interested in hearing more about uh, the new Old Man Gloom albums, there's a lot of great stuff in there. So, yeah. Cool. cool. All right, Santos, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for talking Muppets with me. <laughs> Anytime. Just give me a call and we'll just talk Muppets for a few Dude, hours. I, I mean, I <laughs> I had no idea. And that's seriously one of the coolest things I've heard in oh, a long yeah. time. It's... But it's the best. Yeah. And I it, I know it just enrages Cody. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so um, on that note, my name is Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Santos Montano. <laughs> <laughs>